a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. This is then a sanctification, is a daily drowning of the flesh and, the, and a daily rising again of the new man to life. And that is what we call repentance. The law comes to us and shows us our sin, and then the gospel comes and, and forgives our sins, and, and, and by that the new man rises daily to life. The point is the forgiveness of sins. I mean, I, I wonder if the gospel was preached in that gray old church. I wonder if the sacraments were rightly administered. Because if it was, that's the point. I wonder if those gray old people needed the forgiveness of sins. It's like putting Vaseline in your eyes before reading the New Testament to be a dispensation. Because you can't tell anyway what's up and down. So. You're just trying to get on the Facebook quote page. Ha ha, beat you before you could turn off the radio. This... Is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> oh, they were they, people were enraptured by that intro. When I'm talking, I don't. This must have been the slowest time I'd ever talked, and you got that as our bump in. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like I'm talking with marbles in my mouth. And this is how the Lord forgives our sins. <laughs> you'll uh, you'll understand that in the second segment when we talk about emotional manipulation. Oh. Um, <laughs> How do you like that? And then in sec- segments three and four, we're going to be playing Ten Commandments in the News with special guest Pastor Warren Graff from... Our correspondent in the field, our cor- yeah, that's right. correspondent. <laughs> we're going to go down to the trenches uh, to, to hear from Warren Graff. We're going to play Ten Commandments in the News and the Casual Apologetics Conversation Game uh, in segments three and four of today's program. Yeah, sounds like a great show. Oh, I'm looking forward to this thing ending. <laughs> everyone is. Everyone is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start off with doing some buzzwords. Oh yeah. Okay. Let me pull up my Theopedia here. Did you Did you find one with like? Yeah, I had to look quite a while today on Theopedia. I had to. Keep, press the random button like ten times. I said, "What does all this work?" Was it <laughs> Was it pulling up ones we've already used or what? No, I was pulling up all these names of all these evangelical guys I've never heard of. Ah, their pictures, okay. you know, and they. I, I don't know why they all were the staff on Calvin College or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I finally found one, and that okay. is cessationism. Cessationism. Here's a, here's a definition from our Calvinist friends. In Christian theology, the view that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, such as healing, tongues, and prophetic revelation, pertained to the apostolic era only. Ah. Uh, and served the purpose that was unique in establishing the early church, and that they passed away before the canon of Scripture was closed. It's contrasted with continuationism. <laughs> They're very creative with these names. Yeah, sure. I just add an ism to it. This is you're looking at we we believe in table talk radioism. <laughs> and that is uh, extreme boredom uh, and <laughs> No, no, it would be extreme boredism. Boredom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Which is a, and that's continuationism is the view that the miraculous gifts are normative, have not been ceased and are available for the believer today, etc. So, this is the big old I mean this is the kind of the word that the the non-charismatics came up with to rebut the charismatics. But the point is, I mean, look at do the the do the gifts continue? Well, I mean, yes, the gifts continue, but do they continue in this kind of uh, do they continue in the sense that they are confirming the direct call of God by the apostles so that they know that they're speaking the Lord's word? No, no, of course not. I mean, every time that a miracle has worked like this in the Old Testament or people start talking in tongues or whatever, it's worked by the hands of the apostles. And so here it, the Lord is proving that the prophetic word is true, just like he did with the, uh, I mean, sorry, the apostolic word is true, just like he did with the prophetic word. But now uh, these gifts don't come as... Um, what is a confirmation of the immediate call of the apostles? Because there's no apostles. They're all dead. Uh, these gifts come by, by hard work and labor but, uh, and, and effort. You know, you can learn a different tongue. You can go to school and help heal people, etc. But they don't come as confirmations of direct calls. So I guess that makes me a cessationist. Whatever. That you are. That's the word. Okay, yeah. and then the... Um Theological buzz phrase I have for you once again is in Latin, uh, but this is a theological buzz phrase that you won't hear in the Lutheran Church. Rather, uh, you'll hear it if you hang around with your uh, Catholic friends a lot. Uh, that is fides informis. 
uh, and the uh, and I got this by the way uh, out of the glossary of the reader's edition um, of Walther's Long Gospel Book. Uh, nice. as you can pick up. So, uh, but this uh, Fides Informis is uh, a faith which the Catholic Church believes um, of being kind of a mere faith or a dead faith or uninformed. So the so that one could could have faith, but uh, it lacks life. It lacks works. It lacks love. Um, and so uh, there's like this uh, faith that's dormant uh, in someone, and uh, once they can start doing some works, then then they have a live faith. Hey, who publishes that book, uh, the Reader's Edition of the Law and Gospel? I believe that would be Concordia Publishing House. I love Concordia Publishing House. Yes. Okay. Uh, now we have to get to our email, uh, which you've been you've been wrestling oh, over this email for at least three or four minutes. Um, because you just found out that we had this email. Uh, no, that's not true. But uh, th- we have a we have an email question from Bob who sent us an email uh, at questions at tabletalkradio.org. And a pretty good question. It says this. Um, LSB, that's the Lutheran Service Book, uh, hymn number 596, verse 2 says, You were before your day of birth condemned and lost with all the earth. Uh, but Ephesians 1, 4 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How would you explain the apparent conflict between these two messages? All right, thanks for the email, Bob. And again, you can send us your email questions by sending us an email to questions at tabletalkradio.org or giving us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA. All right, Pastor Wolf, I'm going to let you get started on this. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to do this one was going to be a, um, a TI question. Oh, is that right? Well, I would, well, I'll, okay, I'll start it, and then you can uh, you can correct me if you want to. Um, I think this if could I be... Dare. <laughs> uh, can, can we kind of see this as a little bit of a paradox uh, the same paradox we have with uh, Samuel Usus et Bacater, that is, uh, simultaneously saint and sinner, uh, so that uh, here in this life, um, we are still of human flesh, uh, we are still sinners and sinful, but at the same time, uh, because of uh, God's grace and mercy and Christ's work, uh, we are also saints, uh, sanctified uh, by his word and, and, and bestowed through his sacraments. And so we, we at the same time are saints and sinners. Uh, could we could we have kind of the same similar thing here that uh, we're um, both condemned because of of uh, uh, original sin that's we inherited from Adam and Eve, and then also um, that we've been elect from the foundation of the world? Yes, I think so. Although I, what I'm look, why you hear my chair creaking around is because I'm looking for. Um, my my little book that has the original versions of the hymn. This is a Paul Gerhard hymn, and I wouldn't mind looking at what's underneath it. I, I don't know if it's Latin or if it's German, uh, th- this sort of thing, because I think I see the problem here. I think this is probably inadvisable to say that before our day of birth, indeed from our conception... Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, this is, I, I got it now. That we're conceived and... Bo- I was thinking before our conception we were doomed. Right, so, yeah, so... Um, yeah, all right, I, I got, I'm all straightened out now. No, th- so this is true that I mean this point that you were before your day of birth. Th- in other words, from the moment of your conception, you were condemned and lost with all the all the earth. In other words, to be a sinner is to stand under God's condemnation and under His wrath. And we are by nature that sinner. And it and it doesn't enter. I mean, I was talking to some people here in the office the other day, and they were just flat out. I mean, past, another pastor, uh, not a Lutheran, and he said, "Look at." Uh, babies are not guilty of their sin until they reach an age of accountability, and this is this verse is against that plainly, and so is the Bible, uh, that we are by nature sinful and unclean from our conception, and yet, and yet, the Lord chose us to be redeemed, and, and what did He when He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? He chose to save us from this condemnation and from this destruction. So that we we do have to be sinners before we can be forgiven, and and this is really both. So I think it's sorted out, um, like you said, with the simple Eustace at Picard, but maybe even more just with the simple law and gospel. According to our sinful nature, we are condemned and lost, and yet through the gospel, which is what the doctrine of election is, we are saved and rescued by Jesus. Yeah, I mean, uh, here, Psalm 51:5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, and so I, th- this, I, I am taking right now a class called Luther Text, and we uh, just 
got done reading Luther's commentary on, on Psalm 51. And th- oh, this wow. is most marvelous. And so he, he goes through and picks apart. I mean, uh, David here in writing Psalm 51, is not. this is not a commentary on his uh, single sin or a few sins with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, but rather he here is speaking of his uh, of his human nature. His his he's speaking here of his, his entire sinfulness, his his being born into sin, as he he says in these very words. And so uh, and and one of the one of the things that I love is in the very first verse, Luther says uh, here. Well, David says. Uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And Luther says the only way that uh, the pronoun me and God could be in the same sentence is by this verb, have mercy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, me, the, the pronoun me and God standing in the same sentence by itself uh, is, is a terrible thing. It's, 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 uh, it, it brings uh, complete fear upon the sinner, but uh, with this mercy... Uh, we have uh, God's grace and, and gospel and the forgiveness of sins. Nice. Okay, well, that I think we is... we got it sorted. We got it out. All right. So, again, if you have any other theological questions uh, to send us, to, we can attempt to answer. Do so by sending it to questions at tabletalkradio.org or our voicemail system at 1-800-385-SOLA. You're listening to Table Talk Radio with Evan Gigline and Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're doing the emotional manipulation praise songs right after this. Table Talk Radio, answering the age-old question. If a radio show is broadcasting and no one listens, does it still make a sound? I am the entertainer, and I know just where I stand. Another serenader, and another long-haired band. Today I am your champion, I may have won your hearts. But I know the game, you forget my name, and I won't be here in another year if I don't stay on the charts. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. In this next segment of the program, we're going to be talking about, uh, I got what, praise songs and emotional manipulation, and maybe if we have time to do a uh, mini crunch of uh, praise song. Uh, but Pastor Wolfmuller, you've been on this harangue lately. What, what's going on? I'm absolutely you know, wolf. I've got. I've given myself the new nickname. I've thrown aside all the other accolades that you toss at me so freely, Evan. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, they, uh, they 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 feel like bull rider. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what else am I? I can't remember. I can't remember them I'm all either. On, They're just too <laughs> numerous. <laughs> I'm taking on the nickname Wolf the Mystic Hunter because I am just on this massive harangue. So now I'm listening to this praise song the other day. I was I was listening to it live. I was at a praise service, and they were. Um, and they were talking about, they were singing about what all the praise songs sing about, and name, how they had seen God. And this just really makes me uh, upset. And so I thought of a strategy now. I'm going to start talking to these people. And it's and it's from this movie Elf. So I was asking if you've seen this, and you pulled up the audio. When when the, this movie Elf, this, it's um, Will Ferrell, and he's an elf, and he comes down, and he's looking for his dad, and uh, and he's working in this mall as an elf, and uh, and the and the manager announces that Santa's going to come, and he just goes crazy. So you have it? Yep, here we go. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! <laughs> Santa here? I know him. I know him. To be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So now, so this is what this is what I think our strategy should be. Whenever anyone in the praise song in the praise band is up there and they sing and they sing like this, they're gonna say, "I saw God," and we should say, "What? You you saw God? Oh, I can't believe it! I, my my whole life I've been dreaming about seeing God face to face, and you what did he look like? I can't believe it! That's so amazing!" And we should just go and they look at you and they'll be like, "What? What's wrong with this guy? He's crazy." Well, you just told me that you saw God. And they say, I did? Yeah, yeah, you were singing. I saw God over and over. You had your guitar, you were bopping back and forth, and you said it like nothing was to go. I saw God. Yeah, it was great. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and our eyes met, and it was so great. What was that like? I mean, the Christian's dream is to see God, and you've seen him. It's amazing. And then they, what's the praise person? What do you you think about that strategy? The praise person will be like this. 
Well, I don't even know what you're talking about. He'll guy. be about you're... like like the manager in the movie Elf. <laughs> he's, like... Yeah, he's like, all right, whatever. Uh, he's gonna take pictures with the kids. I mean, well, I I mean when I and they'd say, well, when I sang about how I saw God, I didn't really mean that I saw him. Oh, well, what 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 did you mean when you said I saw God? <laughs> and then and now and now we're getting to the heart of the problem of the mystic is that it's not about something real it's about something spiritual so what does the praise song mean when it says i saw god it means that i had some sort of internal experience in my feelings about god being present oh well why, why don't you sing about that because that's not nearly as exciting <laughs> i mean <laughs> i i had some sort of internal feel well so what i mean i've already stopped worshiping your feelings like you do we've we've given up the idolatry of feelings last that was last week's show wasn't it yes so now it doesn't trouble me. But to see God, I mean, this is quite, a, to, uh, you know, I mean, in the in the in the Bible, this is quite a big deal, isn't it? To see the Lord. I mean, every time mm. someone sees the Lord, they just about get toasted. Uh, it's the amazing thing that Jesus comes. Jesus comes hidden in flesh, so that He doesn't just fry our eyeballs. I mean, you know, make our brains melt when we see Him, because no one can see God and live. That's what the Scripture says. And yet here we go around glibly singing about how I saw God. So I I think we ought to treat that statement. Uh, try to treat it seriously like a Christian would treat it and say, that's incredible that you saw God. What was it like? I can't believe you lived. You must be sinless. And then see what the praise gurus say. What do you think? Uh, that'd be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, th- this, is a new, this is a new Table Talk Radio project. If you uh, take this on, we, we want, if you get a video of it, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> Just send it to us. Questions no, no, at tabletalkradio.org. Right. So you're there in the audience. Your hands are raised up, and someone says, "I saw God," and you say, "Wow! That's amazing! Stop the song. Tell us about that. That's great." <laughs> I mean, this is a stop the press sort of thing to see God, you know? Right. <laughs> um, did you want to do? Santa's coming. Okay, do you want to do you want to do a mini crunch here then? Yeah, or? let's crunch away. I'm I'm all fired up for it. My okay, as, th- as this song plays, uh, go to our website tabletalkradio.org and uh, download the under the articles tab the praise song cruncher criteria. This is a song "Pour Out My Heart" by a by a band. <laughs> Every, everybody duck. Everybody duck is probably about right. Pour out my heart, for I know that you hear every cry. You are listening, no matter what state my heart is, and you are faithful to answer with words that are true and the hope that is real as I feel your touch. You felt the touch of God! What was that like? Right. You know, I, I think that if you've been touched by God, you'd have more something more interesting to sing about than your kind of flea bag maggot filled heart. <laughs> I think you know. Look at this is a, I I want to try. To, here's another experiment that I want to try. Not just with this is not just with the praise band, but this is with any sort of Armenian type. I want to bring a bit. I took out the garbage today, and uh, and part of the garbage you don't know about this, Evan, but uh, diapers, <laughs> dirty diapers. Uh, will ferment you know they'll, i mean they'll be smelly when they start but they get smellier so by the end of the week you know you open up the little the diaper pail and oh boy that's a just a lovely <laughs> <sighs> it just wakes you right up you know and and i want to go I, to these guys i'm really missing out here oh man I, I'm, <laughs> I, you, you just I, put I, it I, <laughs> now, I'm, now i'm in a hurry you could smell it through the radio. You had to put a bow on one of these ripe, dirty diapers and give it to him, and be like, "Hey, hey, look at this! You know, it's actually it's a gift for you. You know, all these guys that think giving God their heart is such a great deal. You know, 
Say, hey, hey, take this diaper, you know? This is this is exactly what you're doing when you're giving God your heart. I mean, haven't you ever read what the Bible says about your heart? It's wicked above all things. It's full of, uh, you know, uh, filthy uncleanness. Well, here, here's a diaper, you know? Why don't you frame it, you know? Put it on your dining room table. It's disgusting. Oh, this arrogance to think that our heart is so fantastically great. I mean, ugh. Oh. What a mess. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jesus, yes, no, and if yes, a name or concept. I don't know. Is it in there? I didn't see. I was Nope. Zero, zero Jesus. All right. That's not a good start. Okay. The next question, clarity. Is the song clear? Does it use sentences with subject, verb, and object, or sentence fragments? Ten, uh, very clear, one obscure. Uh, what do you think here? Pour out my heart to say I need you. Pour out my heart to say that. That's not a sentence. This is a. This is not... You are faithful to answer with words that are true and a hope that's real. I feel your touch. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you bring a freedom that's all uh, to all that's within? What the, what the heck? This is unclear. I hope it's unclear because I don't want it to mean what it says it means. So <laughs> I'd put this high on the unclear, uh, whatever that is, three or seven or two or eight, something, whatever it is. Uh, let's see. Two would be obscure. And then mysticism. Ten objective, one subjective. If ever, As soon as you feel the touch of the Lord, you're just totally into the mystic business. <laughs> okay. You're, you're, you're sold out mystic. What about law and or gospel? Is there any of that in there? No. No? Do you see it? Um, you bring a freedom. I mean, words like this. With words that are true and a hope that is real, which is more than we can say for this song. <laughs> <laughs> but you so, so you will use words like freedom. That's a that's a gospel kind of word. But now it's me pouring out my heart to say that I need you, to say that I love you, to say that I'm thankful, to say that you're wonderful. This is just flat out. What are we doing? Law and gospel? No law gospel. Yeah, I mean this this whole language of pouring out your heart is just centered on the mysticism, right? So I mean this is yeah, language yeah. that's going to try and provoke that kind of emotional response. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, last yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, I'm gushing. That's what it means to pour out your heart. I'm gushing. Look, some of people like you have kind of a gushing personality, not me, Evan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get that a lot. Uh, number five. You're so sentimental and sappy. <laughs> Is there any explicit false teaching? Well, if it's tr- is it true or false that he's been touched by God, that he's felt the Lord's touch? That is false. Well, then it's false doctrine. Okay. Which, but remember, I mean, there's no real, I mean, there's no teaching here. That mysticism is anti-teaching. Mysticism is anti-doctrine. A bit mysticism of, is anti-Jesus, by the way, also. Mysticism is bad. If anyone was wondering about that, <laughs> let's just make sure we're clear on the fact that mysticism is bad. It's da- it's spiritually dangerous. Now, here, I have to stand here. Well, we, I'll put you in this, too. We right. have to stand here and act like jerks because everyone's like, oh, this is just so nice. And the kids like to sing it. Whatever. No, this is spiritually dangerous. It's poison. Yes, it is. Um, a little bit of Gnosticism in there too. If you can, you know, talk about feeling God without, you know, there being any physical aspect there. So they're just talking right. about spiritual realms. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, that's that is a super crunch or a mini crunch on Table Talker Radio. After we get back from this break, we're gonna be playing Ten Commandments in the news with Pastor Warren Graff. Don't go away. This is Dr. Carl Fikencher, professor at Concordia Theological Seminary. Table Talk Radio is the best radio program ever. Okay, I said it. Now we let me go. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, joining with us on the, the line right now is Pastor Warren Graff. He's a pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pastor Graff, welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Thank you. It's very good to be here. All right. We are playing... I, I called you our man in the street, uh, our, our uh, current <laughs> events correspondent, before, uh, before we came on from the break. So. <laughs> so I have to live up to that. 
It's true. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, don't worry. Our listeners have very low expectations to begin with. It well, goes it goes along with being one of our listeners. So. <laughs> one of the games we play on this show is called Ten Commandments in the News. We discuss uh, a news clip and just and just talk about how this relates to the Ten Commandments and and uh, maybe worldviews that are involved here and and how it is we can, can bring about a conversation. Uh, based off of this this article, uh, there's a couple that I want to talk about. Uh, I'll just give them both to you right now, and we'll kind of discuss them as we go. Um, the first one is kind of in the abstract. I don't have a, a particular news source, but it's been the, in the news a lot, and that is the uh, the the WikiLeaks uh, deal. And for those who don't know, the WikiLeaks is a website f- where where sources can go and leak information. Uh, and, and they, I think, have a guarantee that they, they will not be traced of, of who leaked this information. So all this information about governments is coming out, uh, video footage from, from military operations, all this stuff comes out. And so we want to talk about that. And the other thing we're going to talk about is uh, this, uh, the news that came out just recently as we record today. Um, the Virginia judge struck down a, a, a line item of the uh, health care um, Revitalization uh, from President Obama, uh, specific, specifically the line that said uh, that that citizens are required then to have uh, insurance, and uh, a federal judge then from Virginia struck that down. Uh, so, uh, Pastor Graf, first let's talk about uh, this whole WikiLeaks idea. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, on the, on the one hand, uh, are we dealing with a, a commandment issue when we when we discuss? Keeping secrets and revealing secrets. Yes, uh, and I think when it comes to looking at someone like Assange, it, it becomes a very instructive question. Because even I think by his own admission, in some of the interviews that I saw, he would know that what he has done is put people in jeopardy, uh, people unrelated even to the the, the direct leaks. So for. If we're uh, juxtaposing that against the commandments, of course, then we have commandments such as um, Commandment 5 coming into play, you shall not kill. Obviously, we have Commandment 7 being considered because uh, he, he stole, or, or what, what, he is, what he is out there putting forth is all stolen, so, so he becomes a, a thief or at least someone abetting thievery. But I think more foundationally, the commandment, that is in play here with Mr. Assange's Commandment 4, uh, his mother and father and all of that. Uh, and that would be, if, if I can read a statement from the large catechism on the Fourth Commandment, and, and what this shows is this ordering that has been established by the Lord, and an authority in the good sense, in other words, things placed in the proper order to be service servants to one another, and that all flows from the commandment to honor father and mother. So what the large catechism has is, in this commandment belongs a further statement about all kinds of obedience to persons in authority who have to command and to govern. For all authority flows and is born from the authority of the parents. Now, by the way, this would later come into play on the second question you bring up, but we'll leave that for later. The question about whether uh, decisions about health care, what what someone is going to eat, etc., whether that flows from the parents or whether that flows to the parents from the government. But in this case, back to uh, Mr. Assange, all authority is born from the authority of the parents, where a father is unable alone to educate his rebellious and irritable child. He uses a schoolmaster to teach the child. If he is too weak, he gets help from his friends and neighbors. If he departs his life, he delegates and confers his authority and government upon others who are appointed for the purpose. So what that sets up is this way of seeing the authority of government as the service of my parents to me. And so for for me to do something to resist the government in a way that is immoral, uh, thievery, brings damage to others, is for me to place myself not just over the government, which obviously Assange has done because he's not letting himself be held accountable by these governments from whom he, he's stealing this material. But he's placing himself over the office of parent. That, that's, that understanding of government, the relationship between government and family, is just so fantastically foreign to our way of thinking these days. And so 
I mean, it might be a surprise to people listening, thinking, wait, disobedience to government and the fourth commandment, uh, you know, how does that even relate to one another? Yeah, and, and I think it also, it, it plays out as we, we can put more flesh on it as we see from where do we learn this. Is it not from my parents that I would learn then that, what, you go to work each day, um, you do your job, you serve your neighbor, you pay your taxes, etc. Now, in Assange's case, that's interesting, because when you read, for instance, what, the, what, what was written about him in the New Yorker um, essay, including, uh, including interviews from Assange himself and from his mother, you, you have this man, Assange, who, as a child, did not really have a father, and, and you might almost say he barely had a mother. Uh, his father had left the scene. He has a stepfather that was abusive. Uh, his mother goes on long forays to try to hide her children from from the stepfather. And, and this is by the mother's own words and Assange's own words. So that she even has this she even has this uh, statement that she makes that. Well, it, looking at the New York, it, it says that she believed that formal education would inculcate an unhealthy respect for authority in her children and dampen their will to learn. I didn't want their spirits broken, she said. In any event, the family had moved 37 times by the time Assange was 14. Oh. So, so you, have this, you yeah. have this person who, in very unfortunate circumstances, did not have a real picture of mother and father, did not have a picture of a home, so that even today, as a full-grown man, he, he does not have a home address. He's, he's, um, he's living, living in hidden arrangements around the world with, with so-called friends and, and all of that. So he's totally disconnected from these institutions that the, that the Lord has set up in such a way that he now sees himself as an enemy of them. And, and that's, what he, that's what he is about. He, he's about then destroying... These these authorities. He, he calls them um, a, a, an authoritarian conspiracy. Is his word. So that when he looks at the American government or the British government, etc., he doesn't see a government that is in place by the hand of the Lord that derives its authority from the office of mother and father. Rather, he sees what he calls an authoritarian conspiracy. And the way you break that authoritarian conspiracy is you bleed it, and those, that's language he uses. So when he, is, when he is stealing this material and then putting it out, he is draining the blood from this authoritarian conspiracy uh, so that its life it will just drain out of itself. So, so he has a very apocalyptic view of, of what, what it's necessary for him to do. Pastor Graf, how would you respond to someone who said that uh, we need a sense of uh, a safe place to, to leak information? So when uh, when someone is, uh, needs to, to reveal the truth about an authority that is 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 mis, uh, mis misusing its authority, um, then there needs to be a, a safe outlet to get that information out. With about two minutes, how would you respond to that assertion? Well, first of all, the, the first defense would be that Assange agrees with me that you don't need a safe place because, after all, he will, he will reveal none of his own information. So he knows that he has to keep things secret in order to protect himself. He just won't afford <laughs> that That's same amazing. consideration I never to anyone else. Yeah, yeah it, uh, I mean, he, he wants everything about the government to be known and open, but he wants nothing about his... So, so who is funding him? Who are his supporters? Who are the people feeding him information? If he really wants to be open and, and uh, vulnerable and transparent and all these things, then he can do it, uh, publish those things. And he, he's published, of course, none of them. The, the other thing is, is this, this drive of ours to act as if everyone is their own authority and that all these secrets can be published. Let, let, me, let me just read another, if I have... Um, 15 seconds, another statement from the large catechism. Sure. Do I have 15 seconds? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Um, let me see. This is, again, in the fourth commandment area of the large catechism. And, no, this is in the seventh commandment area. And it says, if you do not trust yourself to stand before the proper authorities and to answer well, then hold your tongue. But if, but if you know about it, know it for yourself and not for another. 
For if you tell the matter to others, although it's true, you will look like a liar because you cannot prove it. So, and then it goes on, we should never deprive anyone of his honor and good name unless it is first taken away from him publicly. So what that is saying is that if I have a charge against you, I don't have a God-given right or duty to go and publish that charge on my terms. I need to also stand before the authorities and make myself vulnerable, too, so that you can defend yourself. Assange, of course, does not want to let anyone have the chance to defend themselves. He will print the the documents in his way, in his time, without any um, chance for review. Let's pick up uh, right after this break on what you uh, just said. We're talking about Julian Assange and the founder of WikiLeaks, and we'll be talking about uh, the judge ruling against uh, Obamacare right after this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Ask me why, but you've been listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. On the line we have with us Pastor Warren Graff. He's the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, before the break, Pastor Graff, you were talking about um, Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, and, and his uh, rebellion against authority, his misunderstanding of the Fourth Commandment. Uh, pick up where you left off there. Well, well, sure. Um, with, with when you look at what what is his motive, and this is by his own this is by his own statement. This is by an essay that uh, is on WikiLeaks. If I remember right, he wrote this back in '06. But when he's describing the the what we would call the American government uh, or or European government whatever but when he's describing it as an authoritarian conspiracy he's not using the word as as in conspiracy theory like um, a bunch of people theorizing who's trying to take over the World Bank but he but rather he's seeing this organic thing that is a conspiracy of all these uh, centers of power within it so that they're in this conspiracy whether they know it or not and it is authoritarian and so, so he has this desire then to, of course, destroy this thing. And, and his statement is this. When we look at an authoritarian conspiracy as a whole, we see a system of interacting organs, a beast with arteries and veins whose blood may be thickened and slowed until it falls, stupefied, unable to sufficiently comprehend and control the forces in its environment. So that's the task that he, that he sees himself about. Of, of using the, uh, the the communication within this beast that he's describing to drain the blood out of it. And so the, so what he is hoping to see is what a deflating a deflating uh, uh, authoritarian conspiracy as he calls it, but he wants to see this civilization that we know that the West uh, he wants to see that deflated and into, to have its blood drained into the ground. That, that's his imagery. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, then we can say, well, as Christians then, um, what, how, how are we to look at this beast that, that uh, Assange is talking about? And that's where, looking at the way we're given in the commandments, we know that our government makes errors. It's, it's, uh, it, it has people involved, people of sinful flesh, etc. Yet the institution of government and the institution of princes and kings, etc., is a God-given institution. And, and so then we're given not to go and try to destroy these people, but to pray for them, intercede for them, says St. Paul. And, and, of course, then to do our part to, um, to bring a healthy conversation. What would you say, though, if the, it, what, the rebuttal would be, well, the government does crooked things, they're trying to um, uh, you know, do all sorts of wickedness, and they don't want it to come out into the air, so this is a... Uh, a stopgap to prevent abuses from the government. Of, of course, that's their argument, right? How, uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I would say their argument is actually more lethal than that because they don't see it as a, as a stopgap. They don't see the government as something that's good that has been taken over by bad people. They see it as this as this beast that must be 
drained of its blood. So, so it really is a destructive argument and a destructive action that they're putting forth if we go with Assange's own analysis. But, but to your point of, you, you know, what, how is it, if, if I know of, um, of some corruption, if I know of, of some way that the governor of my state is taking bribes or something like that, then what am I given to do? And I think that that's where the large catechism informs us. Well, I am given to do something. I am given to go and stand in court and, and uh, bring the evidence and, and let this thing be adjudicated in institutional ways, not in ways that I have designed to make myself invulnerable and to make the ones I'm charging vulnerable. Now, the problem is when I go to court and I bring the evidence and I'm saying, uh, again, just to use an example, but I, if I'm saying my, the governor of my state is corrupt and here's the evidence, the, the problem with that is my, my governor also gets the chance to defend himself. But why would I resist that if, if what I'm about is bringing about a healthy conversation for the truth? And, and why then, I think we can ask, why is Assange resisting that? Why is he designing it so that everything is under his control of how this information comes out about people? Uh, let, let's move then to the discussion of health care reform uh, and how this, I mean, perfectly relates to what we were talking about. Uh, and how are we to understand um, changes with the, the government and, 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 and bills it proposes um, as, as, as Christians in light of what you said, in light of the Fourth Commandment, if there are certain bills of which we uh, disagree with? And, and talk about this also in the context of uh, health care reform. Well, yeah, to take a quick stab at that, and if I understand the news that just came out, um, I suppose around lunchtime today, that the, the provision in the health care bill that requires uh, citizens to purchase the, the, uh, the product of, um, of health insurance, that that has been struck down, which, of course, I suppose will send it to um, an appellate court and then eventually to the Supreme Court. But, but how is a Christian to look at this, of, of what is it that the government is given to do and what is it not? And in America, we are in a bit of, I mean, everyone is in their own unique situation. But in America, we are in a situation where the Lord has placed us under a government that is constitutional. And so it is right for the Christian to ask, then, what is the constitutional way of looking at this? Since, after all, the Lord didn't place me under a king, but under this constitution. And then it is right for a judge to rule that if the power is not given to the federal government to enter into families' homes, and tell them what kind of medicine they should be using, what kind of insurance they must buy, et cetera, then constitutionally it would be right for the judge to rule that um, this, is, this is an unconstitutional law. But, but now to the more general question of just should a government be about that business at all? At what point is intrusion into the home um, not just constitutional, but is the right way that the Lord has given of this ordering of things and that might be where we get to look at it from a more from, from fresher eyes of just asking a question does the authority of government flow from the family or does the authority of the family flow from the government mm. if the authority of the family flows from the government then then obviously um, the government is well placed to to uh, require me to buy what whatever for my house including which color of carpet they want but but if the authority flows from the the home, flows from the father and mother, the family, to the government, then there really does become a question for the Christian to address of um, but what, what, what rights does this government have to intrude into, into my decisions to, to come into my house and, and uh, give me instructions about how this must be done. And, and that would also, I mean, think of what that would lead us to, how that would lead us to see a healthy view of what education is remembering how the commandments talk about how this, the, um, the school teacher is working under the authority or working from the authority of the parents. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean to, to play out your, your um, example further, I mean, the, the example that people always bring out is that uh, where the government intrudes into the home is, is in the cases of child abuse. And again, you see that, as, as you pointed out, that if, if uh, a government is an extension of, of the family, then the family who is not... Uh, is breaking the fifth commandment with the child, and the government mm-hmm. then would uh, save the child from from the breaking of the fifth commandment. 
Yes, and, and by the way, that's done then not as a matter of a therapeutic society trying to make everyone work right, but it's done as a matter of, of a, a uh, judicial concern. And, and I, that shows us something also. It's one thing for the government to say that we have, we have a judicial concern. We want to make a forensic uh, statement about whether that family should be starving their children. And, and to do that, though, the government must make a case in the court. And again, that's an important, that's an important point. Um, because if the government wants to charge me with starving my children, shouldn't I be able to bring evidence that this is a false charge and I should be able to defend myself, etc.? On the other hand, when we talk about a government just making more arbitrary determinations of this is the way we think of families should buy their education uh, for their children, or this is the way that we want to make families buy their medical care, there's no chance for any judicial statement, any judicial ruling to be made in that and for me to defend myself and my family. Do you think, Pastor, that we, I mean, that this is oversimplistic, or that, that we could simply say that the division, the kind of political divisions that we have today, are, are that's, uh, it can be just boiled down to that. Uh, the government sees itself as family, or... Um, that the family derives its authority from the government, or vice versa, that the government is there to serve the family? Can you put the political I, divide I think that, that way? Is a, yes, I think that's a good diagnostic question. Do, do, and and it, it diagnoses a lot of what's going on in all of our, uh, or many of our political arguments. Does the family derive its authority from the government, or does the government derive its authority from the family? Well, and the Christian it, must say, obviously, the second. It is, it is, first of all, in the order of creation, Adam and Eve, their children. From that, then, uh, you then get established uh, clans, tribes, and then, and then nations and, and all of that. Um, but uh, the other way to put it in, in more political terms is, does someone believe in um, individual rights, is the way it's usually put. Uh, that's not a Christian term, but individual rights, or does someone believe in collective will or collective power because the collective then swallows up the individual into the collective so that what is important now is the collective will and collective will is language that is found in some of Assange's essays by the way same sort of thing the one world government type of uh, stuff that um, right. would he be I mean I guess if you are anti-government then that's what you're after the, um, there has to be one overarching kind of structure well to and I don't think Assange is anti-government He's anti-government, of the governments that would respect individual freedom, individual rights. He's anti-those. But those are governments that would largely be uh, the ones that, well, they're supportive of the family. They're supportive of, that they, they would see themselves as derived from the family. But, you know, how much, after all, how much um, of, of the WikiLeaks stuff that they put out, how much of it has been designed to damage uh, collectivist governments. How much of it is designed to damage Cuba, or um, um, I, well, I don't know Java's. the answer to that, but I guess it's nothing. Uh, it's I guess it's nothing, huh? Well, I've taken a look at it, and I haven't seen any. I, I haven't seen any uh, anything that it's. It seems to me I, that uh, I haven't seen much. Well, I haven't seen anything that's uh, intended to do destruction to uh, Iran. Uh, so I, I think a lot of it, I think it'd be fair to say it is centered on America and and then derivatively up, upon America's um, allies and correspondents, um, you know, so that, that when we're dealing with when we're dealing with a um, an embassy in, in one of our one of our nations that is an ally of ours, then, then that then that nation becomes vulnerable, too. But but he has also, I think, uh, tried to do damage, you know, to. Australia, um, which is where which is where he's from, and, and to uh, Great Britain. But I don't think I've seen anything that that is intended to damage an Iran or a Cuba, for instance. Now, how do you bring that? And Evan, I'm not sure how much how we're doing on time. Yeah, here, we're, but, we're about out of time here. All right, so uh, just a word maybe about how you have a conversation about this, and maybe this is it. You've given it to us, Pastor, is that when we're talking about the government and, and this sort of thing, if we can if we can bring it back to the fact that the Lord Jesus has given us names. I mean, even even just by creation, 
he's uh, the Father has given us names, and he's given our neighbor names, and that if we can treat them according to their name, according to the fact that uh, the Lord has created them, etc., then we're doing much, much better than if we're trying to kill them and destroy them. Yes, and that that is that this idea that you as my neighbor have a name and that I am to honor you, so that even if I see that you're doing something wrong in your family, if I see that you bought a new car when to help your family you should have bought a five-year-old car, and maybe my wisdom is right, I don't have... I don't have the God-given duty to go and enter myself into your family to try to to try to coerce you into doing what I judge to be right. Rather, my God-given duty is to be a servant to you and your family, to speak well of you, to honor you, and that is a, it is two different ways of looking at things. So that on the one hand, you'll have someone like Assange who has his head swiveling around, looking at all these authoritarian conspiracies, as he calls them, and figuring out how he can do damage to them and bleed them dead. On the other hand, you have uh, you have a Christian uh, way of looking at things and knowing that people are sinful, knowing that we're, we're, we all have different afflictions, different weaknesses, yet to love our neighbor, to care for him, to not slander his name, even if we're telling the truth, to not bring dishonor to him. So it gives a much more joyful way of seeing ourselves as servants rather than seeing ourselves as, as this person who must go around and be everyone's judge. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. We thank you, Pastor Graf, for uh, joining us for this edition of Table Talk Radio. Well, thank you. It was, it was an honor to be with you. This is Pastor Warren Graf from Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. You can check us out on the website by going to tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the value of the points is top secret. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.